Hello and welcome to Betting People. This week we have a very familiar face for you. You will recognise him from the Matchbook podcast and Racing TV where he is one of the lead presenters and interviewers. It is indeed Tom Stanley. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for, for having me. I'm delighted to be asked on. I'm I'm terrified I won't be half as interesting as a lot of people you've had on, but I'll do I'll do my very best, Will. And no, thanks for having me on. <laughs> it's interesting. Lots of people say that, and then they always turn out to be really interesting guests. Um, we're going to go right back to the start here and ask. Um, you had a very colourful career in racing. How did you get into the sport to start off with? Um, so uh, the 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 one word answer to that is betting. Um, that was that was my. Um, that that's what piqued my interest in the sport. So, um, growing up, I I had a dad who was really into to racing, and it was his. Um, he had a corporate job, but he it was his dream to own a racehorse. So I suppose he was my intro, if you like. But um, when he retired, he he did get a racehorse, and um, it was the only one he ever owned outright. He's been in syndicates subsequently. Um, and it uh, it was a horse called Cheval de Guerre, who was trained by Kim Bailey. Um, an association we as a family still have. Um, he was very much a jumps, a jumps racing fan, my dad. And um, it won first time out of Warwick. And that was a great experience. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but it, but, but the whole thing didn't really, um, I never, I never saw myself as anything other than a very casual racing fan um, it, until I started betting on horses. Um, I was a, I was a young, I remember being sort of, I don't know, maybe 10, 11, 12 and dad having the racing on at home and me genuinely thinking, why are we watching this? We could, be, we could be watching, and it sounds terrible that I now work in racing, but <laughs> I, I, you know, we could be watching football. Um, I quite liked my F1 back then for some reason, uh, back at probably the end of the Damon Hill era. Um, I, I loved my cricket. Um, and still do love all of those, but um, at that point, horse racing wasn't my my number one at any stage, except really for the Cheltenham Festival, where I'd, I'd definitely watch that on the TV. But the the, the Saturday fair and certainly the day to day was not on my radar um, until really I I hit my sort of late teens and and started having a bet. Um, so I mean that really was Dad's fault because he was he introduced me to that, even though he's never had a bet in his life, uh, and and still hasn't. Um, so he, he, he obviously comes at it from a very different angle. He's a purist who just loves the animal and the sport. And I now love the animal and the sport, but it was betting which, which really piqued that interest and, and meant I now work in it. So um, really from late teens onwards, it was it, the, the, the initial um, goal was to, to make it as a pro punter for me. And here I am having not done that. And I'm probably quite glad in the end because I'm very lucky now to do what I do and love it. But um, yeah, that was that was what really made me go. I love horse racing. It it was it was from a betting angle. Um, I just obviously minded to ask you, what's your first really big betting memory? Was it a Grand National or a Cheltenham Festival or something completely different? Uh, my first really big betting memory. I can't give you the date, and I really should, but it was the Cheltenham Festival Friday. The Cheltenham Festival um, when. Penzance won for Alan King. Ah, um, uh, Penzance. And um, I had that and the Gold Cup winner in a double that day. Um, and I just had a really good betting day. Uh, I was there with my dad, actually. And that was the first time I thought I can make this work. I want to say that was, I'm going to get this so wrong now, aren't I? I want to say that was that was the early noughties. I want to say it was probably about 2003, uh, four, five, something like that. It was, it was one or those. Maybe you could tell me. Feels right. Yeah. I, um, and that was the time because I, I would have been, you know, sort of knocking on early twenties then. And that was the mm -hmm. first time I thought, this is it. I'm going to make this pay. Obviously this is, uh, <laughs> this is it. Um, I'm going to get stuck into the, the day to day, not just the Saturday punting and, um, and, you know, pet, you know, uh, pave my way through university by betting on horses I'm not going to get a summer job I'm going to back horses for a living this is great um and uh yeah that was that was the first really big big you know good day where as a young guy you 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 come home with lots of cash and you go this is it this is what it's all about 
Absolutely. I'm sure many people watch will be familiar with that feeling. Um, were there any punting lessons actually that you learned um, from the early days? Because, um, you know, you went on to be a tipster for odds checker, you know, you've been betting on horses for a long time now. What did you do early on that um, you would encourage people who uh, maybe just starting out or, or are even betting now not to do? Um... All right. So the, the way I started making money initially, and I, and, and I did it relatively successfully, you couldn't do now. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm a matchbook ambassador who was about to, to mention Betfair. But um, in the early days, that was the exchange. So, um, I'm, you know, I can't skirt around that. So um, what I would do is uh, follow. I mean, it was it was it wasn't based on form study at all. Uh, it was it was a, basically a, a follow the money move whereby um, Again, early noughties time, um, you could quite easily. So, I, the, if I try and pinpoint where I was, I'd say um, certainly my last year university, 06, 07, those couple of years it would have been. You could um, see what was being backed in the morning on Betfair, because in those days there was a good amount of liquidity in the mornings on the on the on the exchange. There really was only one then, and. Um, I would uh, subsequently go on. I had about five or six bookie accounts, the main ones, and I I wasn't arbing because I wasn't laying at all. I was just following those morning moves, and I was backing horses at bigger prices with bookmakers. And I could do it for a good few months with the bookmaker before it became an issue. Um, it, it it was a case of I didn't know the horse's relative chances at the time really because again even around then the day-to-day -day racing was um you know i was interested in it but i didn't follow the form um concretely enough you know a, a, a class five handicap at subtle wasn't wasn't something i would i would follow the form with but if a horse was being backed in that race i'd back it at, at two then two or three points bigger sometimes before the bookmaker cottoned onto the move and you know, you, you, the horse's relative chance doesn't really matter at that point because you're getting you're getting the value about it. And, and if you manage to do that with I, I was probably backing 20 to 30 horses a day. And when you're getting that many horses on side at value, you need a few of them to go in over a consistent period of time and, and, and you'll end up making money. So um, that that was it wasn't big amounts. But again, for me then. Um, supporting me through my last year of uni. It was a good bit of extra cash. That was great. Um, but after that, it became pretty clear that you couldn't do that anymore. And, and the bookmakers were reacting to the exchange move. And so uh, far too quickly for, 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 for me to do anything about it or to, to get on at the bigger price. And it became frustrating. And then I had to just change tack completely and get stuck into form stuff. Uh, fair enough. Just, I was going to ask actually what you did when um, bookmakers cottons on. Actually, just going back to market movers um do you still see them as a particularly effective way would, would way to sort of maybe cost none to horses who have a better chance who might be overpriced or do you think that day is truly done because you know we we have market movers pages at star um they're on both they're on all tv channels itv mm. racing tv um sky source racing would you say um they're still a good signifier especially in sort of the, the sort of contests you were making money from earlier on or they're, they're a good signifier of a horse's chance, but a horse's, you know, the, the a horse's chance isn't going to isn't going to over a long period make you money. It's value, which is, um, you know, you and I just to simplify it, obviously, mm. you and I could bat the same horses at different times and you make money and I don't because because you've got on before the horse has become a market mover. Once a horse is a market mover, the value's gone. Right. Well, most mm. of the time. So um, it might be a good signifier of a horse's chance. And you could go through on the odds checker page, for example, and find out all the big market movers and back all of them one Sunday afternoon and you might make money. But if you do it over a long period, you're just backing market movers where ultimately the value is almost all eroded, unless it's a ridiculous derail deal-esque market mover where get on at any price you like until two o'clock and it's value, um, then then you're, you're behind the behind the time. So um, I had to stop doing that because I, I, I couldn't, I, I no longer had an edge. Um, I'd spend a, you know, a few months doing it with a, with a bookmaker and then it, it would become probably quite obvious what I was doing. And then I'd have to move on to another one. And over the period of a year and a bit, it was great, but um, it, it, it wasn't going to make me a, a lot of money and B it, it, you know, it became unsustainable when the, um, 
when there wasn't such a time gap between the early morning exchange mover and the bookmaker reacting. You talked about your form reading, um, which is mm. something obviously you've been doing for a long time. Um, what are the most important variables um, when you look at a, any typical race? I know that this will change depending on jurisdiction and depending on sort of time, but are there any certain elements of a race that you think this is really important? I got to know this before I start pricing up a tissue or whatever. Um, I think that eliminating variables um is is the most useful is the most useful tool so um without a doubt the most successful period i had was for about a year and a half two years and bearing in mind now my kempton betting is terrible but for about a year and a half two years i focused on class four handicaps or better at kempton always handicaps um, and on the outer course. And that way you're at a time where it was never standard to slow either, it was always standard. And, and, and at that point you're eliminating lots of variables. You're focusing on one track, um, you know, Southall for example, was a track I just never really punted and, and, and don't. Um, but Kempton, the all weather is, a, is, a, is, is something where you, you don't have to take into account whether it's good ground or, or soft ground or heavy ground or tacky ground or holding ground, whether they're getting through it or not. All of these things, which can get really confusing. Um, and quite often, certainly back then, you, you had similar horses running against each other. And once you've worked out the pace scenario, I found, um, you, you know, you, you, you found it much easier to eliminate horses by taking out those variables. Um, so I suppose, I suppose the roundabout way to answer your question is if I am going on, on turf betting, then, um, then the, the ground is, is probably the place to start. Um, and sometimes if I'm being lazy, if I've got to, if I've got to do something, you know, if I've got to, not necessarily from a betting angle, if I've got to do a, a quick bit of study on a race, which sometimes happens if I worked a late shift for racing TV and then I'm working again the following afternoon, I'll have to just spend a little bit less time prepping. If I'm trying to work out what's going to happen in the race, I start with the pace because that can give you a, a good idea of how a race is likely to unfold. On that last note, pace, um, which is something we've talked about on Betting People before, we talked to Simon Rowlands about it, we've talked to many other punters about it. Um, do you think that, by and large, in this country, we have enough information on um, things such as pace? I know that people make their own ties and ratings. I was wondering, actually, if you do that. Um, but some courses have sectionals, others it seems to be a bit iffy. Um, do, we, do we still have some way to go before you could do it in the same way you could in America, for instance, where every quarter is timed, um, or say Hong Kong or Australia, for instance? We, we definitely have a way to go. I mean, Simon Rowlands is great at banging his drum because it is a drum that has to be banged. Um, and he is, uh, you know, I can't profess to be 10% as knowledgeable about the subject as he is. But it, it's, it's we, we, we haven't even gone half the way and we've got to go the full way. You know, I'm, I'm pleased to say with Racing TV, for example, now all UK racing we have um the, the course tracks timings on there and we've mm. just started to implement the the sectionals with angus uh, analyzing them at angus mcnay an analyzing them at kempton which is essential um you know we need to know so something i, I learned from dubai for example is when i'm out there when we're out there on the screen we have all the sectionals come up so the first year i spent out there i'm, I'm ashamed to say which is five years ago now the first 400 meter sectional time would come up and i wouldn't even look at it just considering where I am now, I wouldn't. I was so worried about, I mean, I had A4 pages and, of, of notes on every horse's yeah. bit of form and everything, because the role I was doing out there was sort of presenter and pundit, and I don't want to look stupid. Fine. But if you can say after the race, instead of going to the jockey and saying, because quite often you put the, the microphone in front of a jockey's face, and you go, what sort of pace do you feel you went? Yeah, steady. And they haven't. They've gone quick. Because if you're riding in a, in a race like that, I suppose you're not always going to know, right? It's all relative. You put your horse relative to where he, want, or he wants to be. And you know, if it's worked out, you might reflect as a, as a rider and, and think that it's, it's gone to plan based on how you thought the race was going to pan out. But the times are, are what gives us the, the, the exact answer as to how a, a race was run. And if we work on, on 
12 second furlongs you know you know that if a if a horse has has gone Capazano was a prime example the other day in Dubai two weeks ago where I backed him for round one of the Amac team challenge because I wasn't just, I, I, I thought he'd definitely win but I thought he'd trade shorter in the run because he'd get to the front which he did and he would be a, a good back to lay basically mm. if I didn't think he was going to win um and he did like a 23 second first 400 meters first two furlongs I mean that's curtain no matter how quick the, the dirt's riding he was a goner um and that sort of information if you as a as a punter can process that straight away and see oh well, he's, he's just definitely gone too quick it, it, it you should be I think be able to identify that straight away really and that's what sectionals can do and before that before having the clock on the screen is uh, like I say as we now do on racing tv which is great um you you couldn't do that and the other thing is you know, somebody wrote me a wrote to me a message uh, the other day talking about um sectionals and, and talking about jump racing and saying how he wouldn't put any value in sectionals in jump racing and again that's probably a view I had five years ago but now I know I know it's probably not as strict because of the you don't come out the stools etc yeah um and they can you know they, they might be you know, over three miles they they might just be cantering for a little bit but re realistic well, galloping but not very quick but realistically it, it still tells the story of the race and it still has to be seen as incredibly important. I think sectionals in in jump racing because it it can tell you why a horse might have folded or why a horse might have kept going at the end of the race. I think that's a really great way to end a fascinating part one of betting people. Thank you for your time, Tom Stanley, and come back tomorrow for part two. Hello and welcome to betting people part two with Tom Stanley. Now. In part one, we discussed your background and punt methodologies. Um, many people will know you for your tipping, but they'll also know you as the face, some would say, of Matchbook's content and indeed their podcast. And I wanted to ask you, because um, I'm sure you'll tell us about the podcast, Matchbook has had quite a bit of a claim, um, but since you started, since you moved there, a number of podcasts have come onto the scene and it's now a very packed space which was once a rather sparsely populated new space um how do you guys keep ahead of the game and you know what do you do to keep it fresh because it's not as if there's only two or three competitors now there's tv and there's online and there are many really well-funded um challenges essentially um to what matchbook are doing yeah I you know, I think when so when I when I um, started with Matchbook, it was it was really right at the start of their the, of the content and and the podcast. Um, from the outset, you know what what they said to me, and you know the, the guys that that run it are are genuinely fantastic who who know exa exactly what they're doing. But it was pretty clear that you know, for all we can have a you know you have a joke around on a podcast, and that's nice for for people to listen to. Um, I think we wanted it to be. Um, you know, quality content, um, informative content, unique if possible content for betters. <laughs> I never know how to say that word, but betors, you know, who, yeah. who want to, who want to um, bet better, to, to know better what they're doing. Um, so it, it, as much as it's got to have that, um, you know, uh, lively banterous feel, that is not the, the first port of call. So that was clear from the start. Um, that we we really want it to be good content you know if we're if we're going through a race for example uh, we won't do it for the sake of it we'll have a chat beforehand whoever the, the guests are and we'll say if you don't fancy anything in this race it might be that envoy allen's running but we're not kind of here to to blow smoke up that horse's ass we're here to to hopefully put up bets or lays or however you 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 want to phrase it with or, or do it with matchbook um because that is that is how we that's the feel we want to have that we're hopefully experts putting their opinions across. Um, you're right, definitely, that a lot of, I don't know whether to say competitors, but there's just a lot more content out there, be it produced yeah. by bookmakers or be it produced by, you know, people in their living room. I, I used to have a podcast with Ollie Bell and Nick Goff that focused on NFL football and, and horse racing. Um, and, um, you know, Nick was the, the beating heart of that, to, to be honest, uh, particularly with his, his football and, and NFL. I know he's been a, a guest on this. Um, and I suppose that was for, for people who, who want, you know, a, a, a shrewd angle. But equally, that had the, the, the more sort of banterous feel to it. And I actually quite like about Matchbook that we have a little bit of that. And we've got a consistent group of guests now 
on on the horse racing podcast and on the others that you know it's got that sort of um if it, it, i want to say family feel almost because it, it's a nice group of people we all get on but hopefully we're putting across good opinions and finding people some some winners and and the and the horse racing podcast has got a great following um, certainly in the last six months or so since we got consistent guests on it's still not as well uh, viewed or listened to as the NFL podcast or the uh, football podcast and I think that's a re that's because of the it's it's very well viewed um, comparatively but I think that's because where horse racing is in comparison to those other sports right yeah. the other sports are particularly NFL over here from a betting point of view that Hopefully. is sharply on the rise and, yeah. and the other thing will that we you know that we've done not from the start but certainly the last couple of years is what we, what you and i are doing now and, and we do mm. it in vision because since coronavirus people don't listen i don't think to podcasts as much I, I don't know about you but i listen to podcasts normally when i'm in the car or on a train and i'm not doing that so much now and i don't really walk around the house listening to podcasts because if i try to i get sidetracked doing something else so whereas i do watch you know your star sports interviews i watch them uh, and and listen at the same time because i tend to be on the laptop or you can yeah. you can get it on your smart tv you can get youtube on your smart tv right so you can watch it like yeah. that so um that's been a, a huge plus i think getting getting that technology involved we live stream it um so it's done live and then repeated etc so i think that's a way that we started doing that before most um but otherwise you're relying on your content Right. You know, that's yeah. it, because there's a lot out there. So you've got to hope that people want to keep coming back because hopefully you know what you're doing. And and, and um, hopefully across those three sports, we do. Yeah, um, it, it's an interesting phenomenon, actually, recently, this sort of lost the commute in terms of um, what people will listen to or what they will tolerate for now. Although, interestingly, the whole situation of last year has seen a lot of people starting podcasts, which, which is a which which is a move in and of itself um going on from that actually um let's talk racing tv for a little bit um i wouldn't know if you'd be privy to those figures but since the start of lockdown one have you seen a rise in viewing figures um for racing tv i think um members wise um because of the the extra program certainly on that so on racing tv extra which is how which is how I, I don't really watch it on the TV now. Um, I watch it on, on my laptop or my mobile phone. Um, I cast it from my mobile phone to my TV um, because you can select which racetrack you want to watch from. So I think uh, I'm not privy to, to figures, but I think that's seen a boost in memberships because of that, that the options you have there. Um, I think the Irish coverage um, which let's be honest, it got off to a slightly rocky start. Um, you only have to go on Twitter to, to see that. And one thing I think racing TV, we always said was look at the team we've got, look at the quality of team we've got. Yeah. And that's now really starting to shine. You know, Kevin and Ruby yesterday, we're doing this on Monday. They were on great form. Um, we've benefited with the Irish racing, although we lost Fairy House on Saturday, has I think really benefited from, you know, Goran Park last Thursday. Um, uh, where were we on Wednesday? I was covering it. Um, again, Ruby and Gary were there um, for a steward's inquiry, which was an absolute abomination of a decision. He says pocket talking, but there you go. But Ruby and Gary covered that brilliantly. And I think the team we've got is absolutely fantastic. And they're really shining now. And I think that's been been really positive. Um, and, I, you know, I hope that I, I don't I don't know whether people are really utilizing racing TV extra as it can be, because I, I think you know, when I watch um, the football on Amazon Prime, I pick what I want to watch, and I do the same with 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 racing on on racing TV now, and have at the races up on another screen because you know I want to watch that stuff as well. So because I want to pick and choose, and there are always going to be those people that want to sit down and watch a Saturday afternoon on ITV. Absolutely, I get that, and that's a slightly different audience, perhaps you're you're catering for. But mm. I like that audience, and I think you know, I think by and large, it's pretty well received, and. It, you know surely it's only going to grow because that is more people are at home now that is that is how i think in the future we are going to be watching sport because we can pick and choose as we like absolutely and um it's again as you say not just for racing but for many other 
sporting events. Uh, moving and changing tack uh, quite differently now, um, and going back to punting, we are, of course, speaking whilst the Gambling Act is being reviewed. And um, this is going to have huge consequences, whether even you're a casual punter, or even if actually you don't even work in the gambling industry, but you do, perhaps not even in racing, but in any sport. Um, tell me broadly what you think about the developments with it um you know do you think it's long overdue that we had this um legislation being reviewed and um, what would you hope to see from it would you have any fears um for it because martin crudess um ceo of arena racing was on sky sports yesterday he fears that the sport apparently will lose to low end 60 million pounds he says it could be as much as 100 million but there are also others like um carolyn harris and matt's cousin um, who believe that such figures are being inflated? Where do you stand on, I guess, all those issues? So, so figures-wise, um, I, I, you know, between sixty and hundred, I'm not sure which end it would be nearer, but neither's good. Um, I think it's a massive concern. I think, I think, first of all, um, you know, I think that there had to be a review because um, there was a period where, um, you know, gambling was the it was that there needed to be tighter legislation about it. I think I think most people would admit that. Um, you know, certainly over the last decade, last decade or so. Um, you know, lots of stories emerging in the press about people who who may feel that they were targeted um, when it was obvious they had a problem, etc. The the issue is, I think, when sports betting is pulled in with online casino betting. Um, and when that happens, I think a horse like racing, which is to an extent reliant on the gambling industry, because that is how our industry is formed, right? They are yeah. intrinsically linked. There's, there's no getting around that. Um, I, I think if you are going to have um, people who aren't problem gamblers unable to put more money in their account until the end of the next month, then they are going to lose interest in the sport. And that has to be a major concern. It's going to affect the sport's popularity. It's going to affect the levy. The, the trouble is we live in this, we live in this world now where quite rightly with regards to smoking and drinking, it is less fashionable than it used to be. Smoking is, is a thing that, you know, when I was 18, it just had to be done. <laughs> that was it. Now um, I, I have a completely different view of it. Um, Alcohol is is on a similar path, loosely, I think. It, it's seen as, as, as more a vice, perhaps. Um, uh, certainly amongst young people, the, le the, the less and less trendy thing to do. And, you know, gambling is, is pulled in with those sorts of things. Um, for all, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure it, it should be. It, it is a problem for a lot of people. But sports punting doesn't have to be and shouldn't be considered the same as say your unlimited casino betting that you can do. Um, yeah. But that, that's where we're headed. That, that, that's the worry. I think the government has to be seen on a grander scale to be doing something about it. And if you're limiting punters to, a, to depositing a hundred pounds a month, then you are taking so many punters out of the game. If you haven't seen Nick Goff's thread that he did, I don't know if you've seen yes, it on, on Twitter and I, I don't want to quote all of that. He just highlighted all the people it would impact. Massive, you know, it would impact me. I'm not a, you know, I, I talked about how I wanted to be a professional gambler. Well, it didn't happen. I wasn't good enough and I, and I, I didn't make it work. But, you know, I, 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 I love punting now and every day I'm working, I will probably have the odd bet or, or two because I've studied a card. And even if I'm not, I'll, I'll chuck a few quid after something. You know, last week between Maidan and a couple on Friday and Saturday afternoon before I got lucky in the, in the Skybet chase, you know, I'd done between 500 and a thousand pounds. It was gone. Um, but, you know, that's because I'm, I'm used to that. And equally, then I had a good result and, you know, made it made some and that was great. And I, I pretty much know where or whereabouts I'm going to be at the end of the year because I've been doing it for so long and, and I'm comfortable with that. But if these restrictions are introduced, do I want to have to go and prove that I can afford to lose more than 100 pounds a month? Are people going to do that? I, I struggle to see it. And then they're driven in different directions to, towards, um, you know, gambling, which isn't um, accredited in, in black market gambling, whatever you want to call it, or people just yeah. lose interest. And that has to be a huge worry for the sport, for all sports, but particularly horse racing.
Uh, just a couple of follow-ups on that. Um, firstly, you know, regarding accreditation checks, um, people will say you have to prove um, your identity to get a GAM, to, to get a betting account, you have to submit um, ID verification. Um, would it really be that much more of a stretch, say, to give um, a utility bill? You know, you went for that to open the account. Would people really not do it to keep it? Um, and also a follow up question after that. Have you submitted these views to the consultation, um, one from the Gambling Commission, one from the government itself on this matter? Uh, no. Um, and perhaps I should have, I feel like I do about it. Um, I, I think it will, I think it will stop people. I, I am sure because I was for a period. Mm. So I basically betting wise, I have, um, I've got, I'm I, I mainly matchbook exchange punting. Yeah. Um, because that's how I like to bet now. Um, I like to bet in running, etc. Um, and, um, you know, you, you, I like to lay horses uh, as well, if, if, I, if that's the angle I can find. But also, I have a few um, bookmaker accounts, which I will use, and, and they are, you know, muggy accounts, effectively. But I'm, I'm hoping to be able to, to land the big acker one there. And I just use, use, use two or three I have solely for that, for, you know, um, a, a big acker. They'd, they'd all be well down this year, but I'm just hopeful that, I, and I've been close before that I can land the, the amount where you go, hey, hey, where you actually walk home and tell your wife about the day's gamble. <laughs> you know, <laughs> look what I did today. Um, so so that, that's what I have. But <clears throat> one of those bookmaker accounts, um, I found my old login details from when my brother and I had a great idea to um, become an affiliate with a, uh, with a website we were going to set up when I must have been 21. So we're talking 14 years ago. And um i it, it, i found the old login details and it said you know you need to submit id i'm not doing i genuinely thought well i can't can i really be bothered to do that i had to submit a couple of forms or something to prove my identity and it sat there for like that for six months because i i know it sounds silly but i just felt it was a faff and i think the extra thing of, of providing utility bills is going to be a huge wall for people who aren't but even the level below professional gamblers mm. there, I don't think they're going to be bothered. Fair enough. Um, and one thing, um, an affordability check has been mooted as one of the um, potential measures. Two other measures that I'd like to get your view on. Um, again, these are hypothetical measures. Um, we are in consultation stage. I feel like I should say that. Um, number one, um, some sort of barrier um, for net deposits that would trigger affordability checks um that's been mooted you know would you think that there would be a reasonable amount at which point um a bookmaker should check can you afford to bet x or y amount and if so what is it uh that is a hard question because uh, i can give a personal answer but the thing is everyone everyone's personal circumstances are so different it's it's it's, I think it's incredibly hard to determine what someone can afford to lose. Mm. You know, how do you do the, 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 the guy that only bets anti-post on the Cheltenham Festival and at the Cheltenham Festival, how do you determine through the year what they, what they can afford to lose? Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and everyone is, is, you know, earning different amounts, perhaps through different means. I think that's, that's, that's really hard, but I, I do think Perhaps the, the bookmaker asking the, the punter to set their own limit isn't going far enough. And I don't want to come across as though something doesn't need to be done. I'm, I'm fully aware that it does. You know, I, I've been in a, in a, in a darkish place with gambling before when I was trying to make it work. And uh, maybe it could have gone the wrong way. Um, but uh, and so uh, gambling is a problem for lots of for lots of people. And when it comes to you know young people, there are startling and frightening statistics about how how young people, underage people are able to gamble. And that is wrong, not only because it's against the law, but it, it's not healthy for people. Um, that is when gambling is becoming into, you know, vice territory, yeah. um, it's got to be fun. But I, I feel it's really hard to answer what the limit should be for it, because it's so hard to impose a blanket limit because everyone's circumstances are so difficult. I feel I haven't really answered that properly, but I, I can't give you, a, give you a number if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. Um, and just one, last um thing a measure that has been constantly briefed and indeed actually was on the 
Times uh, last week and also in the Telegraph is the idea that um, you could ban um, gambling advertising. Now, this has mainly been um, about shirt sponsorship um, so far and logos in sports. Um, would you would that be something? Um, would you think that's a good or necessary measure um, to come from the review? And I ask that because um, Matchbook um, uh, is a bookmate or, or a platform that does sponsor. As to Star, um, we sponsor, of course, the Ground Derby. Of course, I'm not sure that would go. Um, but in terms of general advertising on TV, et cetera, et cetera, would a blanket ban on that, do you think, be an acceptable outcome? Uh, not not a blanket ban, no, because I think so. If you take different sport, if you take horse racing, for example, yeah. um, I think bookmakers should and have to be allowed to sponsor races because uh, because of the levy, because of, yeah. of how important it is to 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 have that money coming through. And if they're not allowed to sponsor races, then um, they're going to change they're going to change tack, right? Because you know why why would they? Mm. Um, uh, you know the 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 three six five. Um, tax amounts were released recently and yes Denise is the top are, paying the top, top paying, paying tax, tax yeah. in the UK yeah as a yeah. lot of tax as well um, so and I think that rubs some people up the wrong way look how much look at look at the profits yeah but look at the tax right she didn't go and live in wherever so she didn't have to pay tax you know the, 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 so I, I think ultimately that well it certainly shouldn't be viewed as a as a negative and I think I think the issue is, and Gary Lineker has been very vocal about this, and, you know, for the gambling industry, it's dangerous when somebody with, with Gary's reach um, starts um, banging his drum about this, is, is shirt sponsorships in football when on a Sunday at four o'clock, you've got dad and the young kids sat down to watch football and they have to say, you know, oh, what's so-and-so as a, as, a, as a bookmaker, as a shirt sponsorship? Um, you know, for me, I've got a, a 15 a week old now. And when he's six or seven, if he sees a bookmaker sponsor on a shirt, it wouldn't bother me at all because I'm comfortable with the industry. But I can see why some people aren't. And I can see it going that way. I can see bookmakers not being allowed to sponsor in that way. Mm. But I think um, and you've obviously got in football, you've is it still the Skybet Championship? I should definitely know it's still that. the Skybet Championship. It's still the Skybet Championship. Yeah. So. Um, you know, again, I, I think, I think, I think it's the. Sh I don't have such an issue with that. I'm never going to have an issue with it though, because of because of, of the background I come from and how I feel about uh, about gambling. But um, and I think in horse racing, if, if bookmakers sponsor races, they they should absolutely be be allowed to and sponsor um, yards to a level whereby they're not um, news outlets for that yard, but where their branding can be seen on, on yards, um, saddle cloths or on their rugs, sorry, and on, the, on, 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 um, attire that they're wearing. But I think, I think shirt sponsorships in, in football is a slippery slope. And I, given the way things are headed, I think that that will be taken away. Okay. I think, um, that's a good part of, or a good way, I should say, on which to end part two of many people. Thank you very much for your, um, insights in this area tom stanley thanks will tomorrow stick around because we're going to be asking him the best of your questions and yes i can tell you this will include the hair and the cricket tune in hello and welcome to part three of betting people with tom stanley now as ever i've asked for your questions i loved them last week for tim carroll i loved them this time around for tom um first things first the really important um things from many people, I can't even read out the amount of names that asked um, me this, but um, how do you get your hair to look so magnificent? Best hair in racing is the universal view. Um, you've got to share some of your secrets with us. It's, yeah, it's all I've got, really. Um, it's uh, got, imagine if I suddenly lost it all. I, would, I think I'd be taken off racing TV. Um, I, shame, terrible shame. So, I mean, genuinely, I do very little to it. Um, I feel very odd talking seriously about this. <laughs> um, I tend to get out of the shower and then just put a bit of um, put a bit of uh, paste on my hands, and it just, I genuinely, it just goes like that. I, I'm, it just, it, honestly, it just does. It's so used to it. It's well trained hair that it just knows. It sort of knows where it's going. This cut is is so. My wife did this. Oh. um 
uh, about four or five days ago. And I, I think she did a good job. I think she did all right. Give the worst, the worst, the worst part was she, you know that you know the sort of spidery bits at the back of your yeah. neck. They, they, if you leave them, you, it's it's terrible. So we eventually got rid of those as well. So um, uh, yeah, I, th I think she did a fair. I think she did. I'm not too precious about it. People won't believe that, but I was pretty calm when she was doing it. Well, given the amount of people that literally asked me if you were breaking lockdown rules, I think she's done a pretty impressive job. <laughs> um, second one, this is from Gareth Budge. Um, I'm sure he's saying it in a nice fashion. Um, what's it like being the poor man's Ollie Bell? Um, is this something Ollie Bell particularly enjoyed? I'm, I, I know, I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have been I have been called P-Mob before, actually, by someone else in racing. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't possibly, but <laughs> she might be watching. Um, and uh, yeah, I can see it. I, I can absolutely see it. Ollie was the, to be fair, Ollie, I probably wouldn't have got it. So basically, when I started with racing TV, was when the Channel 4 shift happened, high flyer to IMG. And obviously, Nick Luck moved to doing a lot more well to channel four and hardly anything racing tv ollie started being a lead presenter at racing tv and he was a great help in me getting into racing tv at the lower level as a mm. as a presenter um i i happily take that moniker as p-bob um and uh and i probably forever will be uh, but uh, yeah, I, he he was great straight first up with actually helping me getting in. I remember sitting. I remember I was doing work experience there, and I sat in the booth with him when he was doing he was doing a, a shift. And I thought he might be a bit standoffish, like uh, you know, yeah. like oh, there's a guy coming along trying to be a presenter. Like you know, I'm not going to give him any help. And he was exactly the opposite. He was like, here's my number. Any questions? Let me know, mate. I did a, a screen test, gave me some feedback on it. So I'm happy to be PMob. Oh, that's that's I'll lovely. Actually, actually, just on that note, um, what would your advice be for people trying to get into racing, um, especially the racing media? I guess that is a good question, isn't it? I think that it's it's very it's an overcrowded market. They're generating your own content place um, because everyone can do it now. But it's still an advantage to be able to do that. You know, you can generate your own content, and if you're passionate about it and you can find something a little bit unique then you've got to go out there and do it, be it um, your own videos or, um, or or a podcast or however you want to do it or, or something like that we're doing now, um, then, then I, I think you've got to try and generate your own content because uh, otherwise it's quite, I think it's quite, it's tricky to get noticed. Um, I got incredibly lucky, um, just a timing thing, but otherwise it's, it's not easy. But um, I think you've got to look to, yeah, you've got to look to generate as much content as you can yourself. And then that builds up a body of work for you to, to, to go to people with. And just actually, because we do have quite a few people um, who are asking, how can we make racing's workforce? And I don't just mean the media, I mean racing as a whole sort of more diverse. Is there anything the sport we, we think can do basically to attract a wider range of people? Um, and get them working in it, not just sort of as jockeys, reef stable staff, but administrators, the clerks, the courses, etc. Um, well, I think the so the racing to school program looks to do that, looks to introduce people at school age to all different areas of racing, um, because there's no doubt unless you are introduced to racing at a young age, or the way you're going to to to, to to be introduced to racing at a young age is normally if you are related to somebody who who's already working who's already working in it perhaps we'll see a post lockdown boom because of the amount that racing and itv have done a fantastic job with this the amount of racing that's been on terrestrial television it's incredible we're so lucky that 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 happened that racing came back on the first of june before any other sport the commitment that a terrestrial tv station has, has been able to make to to racing um largely dare I say it because they can have bookmaker advertising on TV which mm. is which is you know no secret obviously that that's a huge part of the financial deal for for, for them um so going back to the to the to the bookmaker reform issue but 
maybe we'll see a lot more people coming out and, and going, oh, you know, during that period, I was able to watch live sport on TV. It happened to be racing because that was the only, that was the only live sport on TV for a period. Um, but I think, I think, you know, you, you, unless you're going to, unless you're going to go and, um, you know, speak to someone in their early twenties or, 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 or get them in front of racing, how are they going to develop an interest in it if they don't already? Well, normally through a betting point of view, if they're not already interested, I think try and get them in young and, and educate them young, but it's not easy. It's, it's, no, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy to get people to, um, to to watch and have an opinion about a race it's different to football where you where you support a team from a young age and then you develop an opinion about who you want to win etc racing's a bit harder than that because if you switch on the racing you it's not always easy to decide who you want to win the race um which is probably what left me led me down the, the betting path um yeah i think racing to school are doing a, a lot of good stuff and i wish i had more creative ideas about how to get young people in racing i don't think we're in a de desperate state of affairs by the way we're the second we were oh. the second best attended sport so i don't think we're in, in a desperate state of affairs but i suppose there's always more you can do yeah interesting and a nice positive note um to end that answer on um okay another question everybody asked me um the cricket i did some reading on this and found a link i didn't want to ruin the whole story for myself um, or anybody else but explain the cricket story so this is this is back to PMOB. Well, no, well, it's back to Ollie. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was just a shocker. It was an absolute shocker. Uh, it's the World Cup final. I'm sure plenty of people have, have heard the, the story. Um, Ollie was kind enough to to get me a ticket to the World Cup final. Um, he he invited me along. Um, we showed up. We drank far too much you know no 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 just no no secret about that um and we had a great day until until england went into bat and started to collapse the other thing was we we'd been betting quite heavily on new zealand throughout the day um you know we we took the view that, that they were the wrong price throughout the day obviously <laughs> not really knowing that they were but we 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 were inebriated and we thought that would add a bit of fun to it um so we had a fair bit riding on new zealand and uh the day progressed and then we were getting a little bit shaky about the result and then I, I think when um when Josh Butler went um it, we were a bit concerned um Ollie at that point said look I you know I, if we're going to lose I'm not sticking around to watch us lose we we had a night planned afterwards we were going to go on somewhere and he said I, I'm not sticking around to watch us lose so um I think at that stage, I was a little bit more positive about, you know, I was like, no, you know, it's not. And then when Plunkett got out, I was like, yeah, we're done. We're over. I think we needed 24 off nine, something like that. Doable. People have reminded me since that actually England was still about five to four, but we left. Um, so, so yeah, we left. I was ordering an Uber on my phone. It's over. We haven't won the World Cup final. Absolute disaster. Stepped outside the Grace Gate and there was a huge cheer. Massive cheer, and we were like, "Shit, what's happened? Something, something big's happened." And we looked at the TV screen over in the bar next door to the Grace Gate, and we saw that it was when um, I can't remember who the fielder was, but he caught the ball from Stokes and stepped over the rope. So it was a catch, which then became a six. And we looked, and we looked at the score, and we're like, "Oh, we've got to go back in." So we just turned around, went to walk back in. And they wouldn't let us back in because we hadn't been given a pass-out pass. And you need one of those apparently to get back in. So that was that. All the arguing in the world, all the pleading, please let us back in. Super overcame. You've got to let us back in. We had our tickets and we weren't allowed back in. So we craned our necks for the greatest ever English cricketing sporting moment over a load of Indian fans who were actually outside the ground um, watching on the smallest TV screen in the world just outside the Grace Gate and uh, watched England win and it was thoroughly depressing Ooh. oh oh yeah, it, it, it was absolute shocker absolute shocker I had to call my dad who was in there he was sat somewhere else I had to call him afterwards and he was you know brilliant wasn't it how good was that and I was like dad you're never going to forgive me but I left with nine balls to go 
Right, I feel we need something. We we need a different brighter story to end this. I mean, on. what's your okay? What's shocking? Your... <laughs> shocking, absolutely shocking. I still have nightmares about it. Shocking. And Ollie has subsequently had to explain himself to the England captain. They were at a function together, and he'd heard about it. And <laughs> Owen Morgan was like, "Do tell." So yeah. Wow. 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 Um, let's let's have an anecdote for that. What's your what's the best memory you've got um, from racing? What's your favourite time for any live racing moment? Uh, somebody wrote about this. I don't know how they remember about Denman's second Hennessy. Oh, by the way, that was a question I, I just remembered. Oh, gosh, your host is disgracing yourself here. But somebody <laughs> did. I know. How can how can you ask for questions? And, then, yeah, <laughs> and forget uh, one. Yeah, never forget a question. But um, it's an excellent way to lead into this lovely question, which is um, basically, is Denman's second Hennessy still your favourite race of all time? I'm guessing it is. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was, um, I did, I, it was just, that was it. That was, in, that was incredible. Um, it seems ridiculous to go for a moment where I wasn't actually there. I wasn't there. I remember I was, I was watching it in a friend's living room, but it's still in my, in my mind is my best ever racing moment. And yet I've been at the races for so many great moments. Um, but yeah, I don't know what it was about that. More than Corto's fifth king george for example just that because i always loved denman over corto corto was a bit meh whereas denman was denman was the boy i just loved him um and the fact that he came back and did that under that weight carrying performance those when, when you get a horse carrying top weight and does that from the front that was just absolutely magic um yeah i mean it was tears and everything after that it just it just stirred mm. everything. It was, it was amazing. So that is, even though I wasn't there, I was watching it on TV. That was, that is my greatest racing memory. And a wonderful way to end this week's wedding people. Tom, you have been an absolute star, no pun intended. And so have you for watching. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, views, comments, and suggestions, even for future guests. But we've got a cracking bunch down the line. They'll do well to match our days. Today's guest, Tom Stanley. Thanks, Will. Star Sports TV, our weekly magazine TV programme packed with tips, news and banter on the key sports events of the week. Check out the latest episode at starsportsbet.co.uk. BeGambleAware.org. Over 18 only.